0: Come on, Geska. Half used, <laughs> half used hair products, Well, You both have lovely hair, so I guess I'm sure they I'm sure they went to use to good use. Yeah. Hey, so shifting gears, I have a super huge compliment for you all. So Matt, some of you were here last week when my friend Matt was sharing. When he left, he was. It's going to sound wrong. He was like, that was like no church I've ever been to before. And he meant it in a really good way. It wasn't one of those like, wow, that was like no message I've ever heard. It was like, that was a really cool group of people. He was just blown away that you guys don't know him from anyone, yet all these people came up to pray. People were encouraging him, supporting him. He just was blown away even how he couldn't believe that when I actually asked a question from the front, people answered. He's like, whoa, Like you have people that do that in your church? And he just was really encouraged and excited for what we have going on here. And I am too. I think it's a really, I, I think we, I forget sometimes how unique this community is. And it's a really beautiful thing. I'm, I'm really grateful for all of you. So just, that's, that's kind of what I'm really trying to say. And it was cool to, I guess, hear it from Matt's perspective, that yeah, this is there's something cool happening here. And let's let's keep diving into it, you know? So I'm going to pray as we're some of us are getting settled. You guys are really close this morning. You notice that? Not you guys. There's like this chasm. We'll have to figure out a name for for the chasm back there. There's a lot of, maybe there's some sermon illustrations sitting there. But, but it's nice to have you guys, no offense for all of you in the back, but it's nice to have you guys kind of up close, hanging out. Yeah. It's, yeah, purgatory in the middle there. The Kidron Valley. I got nothing. I have absolutely nothing. We'll go with the purgatory. I like that. All right. Yeah, Eganbree and Purgatory. I'm going to slide over a little bit. Okay. You guys are like, okay, what are we doing? Are we going to get started yet? We are started. Jesus. Wow. Christmas. If we only knew what it meant. If we only knew what Christmas meant. Sometimes I feel like I think I know. But then other times I'm not so sure. Would you help us this morning to have a greater grasp of what it means that you stepped into our humanity? Because I have a feeling that if our hearts and our minds could really even come close to comprehending that, the world would be a whole different place. I know my life would be a whole different life. So help us this morning, open our eyes just a tiny bit, as much as as we can handle, to the reality of the gift that you are and what it means that you came. Holy Spirit, we, we entrust this work of enlightening, illuminating, giving us wisdom and understanding. We thank you that it's your job, your work. It's not anything we can fabricate or manufacture. So we just ask for reality to bring itself to bear on our lives this morning. The weightiness of Christmas and the glory of your coming, Jesus. Amen. Last week, as Matt was sharing, we talked a little bit, of, he shared his story of adoption, their, their daughter Lily, and we talked about how the reality is that adoption is not part of the gospel, that at least in my opinion and from what the Apostle Paul seemed to think, adoption is central to the gospel, the reality that, that Jesus came to bring us into the family of God. And we talked about how some of the, just some of the different ways that, that people of faith understand themselves. Some of our different self-identifiers. Some people kind of sit in this idea of, well, I'm just a sinner. There's nothing good in me. We, there's a song that, that came on recently. It says something like, you are good, you are good, and there's nothing good in me. And I was like, well, that's not really what the Bible says. The first thing the Bible said about us is we're very good. You know, Now, we kind of got a little contaminated, didn't we? And that's a whole nother story. But the first thing the Bible says, actually, is that we're very good. And so I was like, well, so I, if we're going to sing that song, we're just going to change that line and say, and your goodness dwells in me. But I think that's the self-identifier of a lot of Christians is, well, there's nothing good in me. Everything good I have comes from God. Yes, of course, that's true, but obviously God thinks we're good enough to come and live and die for. And some people go beyond that and it's like, well, I'm a saved sinner. The core of my Christian identity is that I'm saved, that I'm going to heaven. That's good. That's, That's a wonderful thing. But sometimes what gets lost in that is we forget that it's actually a person that makes heaven heaven. Have you ever maybe encountered people that they want to go to heaven but they don't really necessarily want anything to do with the person that makes heaven heaven? Heaven without Jesus isn't heaven. It's just a place. It's clouds and harps or whatever, a renewed earth, whatever it's going to be. But it's Jesus that makes heaven heaven. And so this idea that we're Christians and we're saved and we're going to heaven, that's a great starting point. But if that's our ending point, we've totally missed the point. I said point a lot of times in that sentence. But you get the point, right? If being saved is the starting point and our ending point that we've missed the point. The point is Jesus says, no, I've come to make you sons and daughters. Some people move beyond being sinners and move beyond being saved sinners, and then they move into maybe servant mode where it's like, okay, well, as long as I'm doing for God, I'm good with God. The servant mode is my, my status with God is based on what I do. And there are a lot of people probably in ministry because of that mode, right? And there are a lot of people doing great things because of that way of operating. That's wonderful, but once again, if we stop there, have we missed all that God has for us? The flip side of servant mode is saint mode. Servant mode is God loves me because of what I do. Saint mode is God loves me because of what I don't do. If I can just avoid this, if I can just not do this, if I can just keep holy enough or keep pure enough, so, for the saved, it's all about salvation. For the servant, it's all about service. And for the, for the saint, it's all about sanctification. But God is calling us all into something so much deeper than that. And that's what I'd like to unpack with us a little bit more this morning. It's something that we know in our minds, but in our reality, do we really, do we really get it? How much do we live out of it? How much does it define our self understanding? So I want to ask a quick question. Where I'm not sure yet if I'm going to make you answer or not, but be ready to answer. Um, so you guys know that TV show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yeah? So this, is, this would kind of be like, whose faith is it anyway? So I'm going to put a list of names up here of, of heroes of the faith. You know, you read through Hebrews 11, these different places. There are, these, there are some rock stars in the Old Testament, aren't there? There are some pretty amazing people in the Bible. Um... Let's let's put the list up there real fast. So, here's just a few people like Abraham, Moses, Joshua. I don't have it I can't see behind my head. But who else is up there? David, Daniel, Isaiah, Ruth, Mary, Elijah. Who else would you guys add? Samuel's not up there. Samuel. Oh my goodness. What's that? Yeah. I knew Betty was going to say a woman. And a, yeah, thank you, Deborah. Joseph. Yes. That's right. we got a couple Josephs. Joseph. Joshua's up there, right? His buddy Caleb, yeah. So think about this for a minute. If you had to, I'm not going to give you a way out of this. I'm not going to give you wiggle room. If you had to trade your walk with God for one of these people, who would you choose? I mean, think about their stories. These are people literally, okay, so there's, think about this in context. There's a verse, it's Ezekiel fourteen fourteen. God is looking at a really ugly situation, and God says, even if Noah, Job, and Daniel were here, I would not relent from what I'm about to do. In other words, these guys have like intimate access to my heart. Even if they were here, with all the favor they have in my eyes, I would not change my mind about this. Another place it says, I think it's Jeremiah 15:1, it says the same thing about Moses and Samuel. It's like, even if these guys were here, I would not do this. But it's saying, God is saying, these people have incredible favor in my sight. So, anybody have an answer of who? How many of you guys don't like the question? Yeah. Good. Just curious. I'm totally going to just tumble all my My eye devices up here. Anybody think, is there anybody on there that you'd be like, man, I mean, I don't know. Anybody tempted to just, I mean, yeah, Nadine, who? Isaiah. He was a pretty faithful guy, right? It's not super exciting how his life ended. Uh, Was he the one that was pulled apart by horses? I think Isaiah was the one that he was either sawn in half. He was sawn in half, I think. Yeah. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Sorry. But that's faithfulness, isn't it? I mean, going to the point where you're, being willi- you're willing to be sawn in half for Jesus, I mean, that's faithful. My wife loves Daniel. The idea of Daniel, who he is, that's one that she's like, man, that's, that's a... A man of faith right there. Anybody else? Who's like, man, that's... John the Baptist. Yeah. John the Baptist. He would probably be a tough guy to hang around with, though, do you think? (laughs) But he's... Radical faith. Radical faith. What's that? Yeah, he was beheaded. Yeah, it's not fun to think about how their lives ended, is it? (laughs) Let's move on from that. So... What if I added someone else to the mix real quick? What if I added just a random, sorry, I'm a little congested, just a random Jewish boy or girl, 17, 18 years old maybe, somebody that doesn't have the best attitude, the best character, they make a lot of poor choices, they're, they're in trouble all the time, they're just, there's nothing special about them. They're just there. Their, their lives would never be written about in this way where they are included in a list of heroes of the faith. If I added that person to the list, would anybody be tempted to choose them? Some of you guys would be, because you know where I'm going. You guys know me too well. See, the question that I would be asking is, well, this random Jewish boy or girl did they live before or after the first Christmas? Did they live before or after the first Christmas? What does that have to do with anything? I want you to look at a, a verse real fast. So, so think for a minute. Okay, so let's, before we go to this verse. So, so real quick, Abraham. Abraham was the first person that God actually called and spoke to and said, hey, we're going to set out and I'm going to make you into this wonderful, amazing people that there's, you're going to have more kids than the, what is it? Stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. That's a, that's a pretty robust promise, right? And God says, You're going to be my people. I'm going to make a covenant with you. Very cool. Moses. Moses was referred to as the servant of God over and over, probably like 13, 14 times in Scripture. Moses has such favor. In God's eyes, he saw God's back. Remember, Moses says, if you don't go with us, we're not going anywhere. Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, well, you can't see my face or you'll die, but you can see my back. And Moses literally came down from the hill. His face was lit up, like shining, like glowing, like hanging around, what's it called? Diablo. Like he's hanging around a nuclear reactor or something. He's just shining. shining. It's beautiful. Who are some of the other ones? I mean, David, a man after God's own heart. Yeah, he kind of did some silly things. But overall, God says he's a man after my own heart. Isaiah, Ruth, Elijah. I mean, Elijah prays one prayer, and God calls down fire. Okay, maybe that's not it. Yeah, (laughs) okay. You know what I'm talking about. These men and women had such favor with God. They walked with God, didn't they? So think about them in light of this verse. And this is kind of where we're going with Christmas. It's Matthew 11, 27. You all have the verse, a lot of you know the verse that says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest, right? Take my yoke upon you. But how many people realize or have memorized the verse that comes right before it? Which is this one. This is Jesus standing. Sorry, am I like kind of really up in here? Jesus is standing in the middle of Jerusalem with all the spiritual heritage of all of these people that we just looked at. He's standing in the middle of Jerusalem and he says, hey, by the way, um, do you want to know how many people know my father? The place where Moses was in their heritage, Abraham. Isaiah, Daniel, David. And Jesus says, how many of them knew his father? He says, you guys, these guys have no idea what God is like. They've got absolutely nothing How many of you are like, how can that be? Right? I mean, we read the stories. Does this mess with your head a little bit? I mean, that's a strong statement, isn't it? No one, David, Solomon, none of these guys knew the Father. No one knows the Father. Think for a minute. Think for a minute about Jesus' existence as the Word of God, as the Son of God, before he stepped into human flesh. Remember, we talked at one point about John chapter 1. There's all these things going on there. It says that. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God. That word with means face-to-face in intimate communion. That says that the one who was in the bosom of the Father, which that word bosom, we're like, yeah, that's a weird word. Um, maybe we could better translate that lap. So we have this Jesus, this Word, who from, the very, from all existence, He's face-to-face with the Father. In the Father's lap, close to the Father's heart, What do you think Jesus experiences there? Think for a moment about what Jesus experiences there. Picture yourself, or picture Jesus there. Face to face with the Father. What would be some words you'd use to describe what Jesus probably knows out of that relationship? Go ahead and just throw them out there, don't. I won't even make you stand because it's Christmas. I know. Pure comfort, yeah. contentment. He's probably like, man, what do I want for Christmas? It's like thinking about all the things he needs and wants. No. Contentment. Yeah. What else? What else does Jesus experience? Oneness. A sense of identity and purpose. Be known. What's that? Companionship. What did you say, Betty? Love. Just pure, uncontaminated, unadulterated, blow your mind, pick you up off the floor, clear love, right? What else? What do you think the anxiety level Jesus experienced was? Do you think he was stressed out about a lot of stuff? He's like, man, how are we going to work this one out, Pops? He's like, do you see what they're doing down there? They're building a little tower. Think they're going to come and overthrow us. That's Tower of Babel. What else? What do you, what do you think Jesus experienced? Yeah, Joseph. Anticipation. For what? Hmm. Anticipation for the incarnation. What was that? Was that you, Betsy? Clarity about what? Hmm. Yeah. Maybe excitement. Excitement. Kind of like anticipation. Excitement for what? To be able to participate in what he's seen down there. Hmm. Excitement to participate in what he's seen down there. Hmm. Any other thoughts? What else? What does Jesus know as he's face to face with his Father? That he's adored, that he is absolutely There's nothing about him that is unlovable or unloved or unwanted. Uh He's trusted. trusted. Hmm. Hmm. No. So he's entrusted with something, which is pretty empowering, isn't it? (laughs) To be trusted with something. He shares in his father's sorrow. Hmm. Yeah. He feels what the father feels, huh? Yeah. Any of you jealous of Jesus? How many of you guys experience things in the same way? How many of you guys know the, the love... That Jesus knows. How many of you know the adoration that Jesus knows? The sense of entrustedment and empowerment that Jesus knows. How many of you guys wish you did? (laughs) One hand went up. All right. Well, we better start from a different starting point. (laughs) I, I assume you assume that was a rhetorical question. See, the thing that gets me, the thing that that blows my mind about Christmas, about the Incarnation, is is I think it's a lie. How many of you guys have heard maybe in a gospel presentation or statement people say, well, Jesus came so that you can have a relationship with the Father? Have you guys heard people say that before? Jesus came so that you can have a relationship with the Father. It's not true. I don't think that's true at all. And you guys are like, well, what? I don't think that Jesus came so that you could have a relationship with the Father. Did Moses have a relationship with God? Did Abraham have a relationship with God? Did Joshua? Did Deborah? Did Ruth have a relationship with God? So why would Jesus need to come if they already are able to have a relationship with God? What's that, Pamela? To set the captives free. The captives free. Okay. I agree. To captives to what is the question? Yeah. Share. what were you saying? To be adopted into family so that we could have relationship with Jesus. Tell me what you think about this statement. Jesus did not come so that we could have a generic relationship with God. Jesus came so that we could participate in His unique, absolutely unadulterated, uncontaminated, full of peace, full of joy, full of dance, full of music, full of everything good His relationship with the Father. That's why Jesus came. Jesus says things all the time. He says, He doesn't say, I came so that you can have peace. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, I give you my peace. The, the peace I experienced in my Father's lap and my Father's heart, that's the peace I give you. I'll take some of that. I came to give you my joy. This joy that I know being enveloped in the Father's arms with the Spirit, this joy that I know of life and color and everything good, That's the joy that I came to put into your heart. I think that Moses and David and Elijah and Daniel and all these guys, I think if they were sitting here, they'd be like, I would absolutely in a heartbeat trade my faith for any one of the people at Coastlands Vineyard. There's a verse in Hosea 1.10. It says that the whole people of Israel, they were longing for the day when the people of God would move from being servants to sons and daughters. All these people that was all about intimacy and closeness with God, it doesn't ever once say any of them were a son or a daughter. It says that they were servants of God. And Jesus steps into the picture and all of a sudden, we have sonship and daughterhood. Daughtership would be kind (laughs) of... You can think of it this way. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus went from being a son to a servant so that we could go from being servants to sons and daughters. Jesus went from being a son to a servant. That's what it says in Philippians 2. Look at this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus shares his mind with us who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. Why? So that we would all remain servants? No. So that we could become sons and daughters. And I think Moses was like, oh my goodness, if they only knew what they had available to them. Look at John 15 for a moment. Is that the next one in there? Or is it Hebrews 3? No longer do I call you servants. I'm going to get a crank in my neck. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. The servant does what? takes orders, right? Follows through, does what's asked. That's beautiful. But what does a son do? What does a daughter do? They share in the responsibility of what's given to them. For all that I have heard, Jesus says, I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now, how many of you guys, when you pray, you say, in Jesus' name, at the end of your prayer? Raise your hand if you do that. Is that what Jesus means right here? Is he saying you can pray whatever you want and you just tag on in Jesus' name? And it's like, all right, forget a Christmas list for Santa. If I say in Jesus' name, I can get whatever I want for Christmas. That's, I think I used to do that as a kid, right? Like that's, that's kind of the magic words we say at the end of a prayer. The word for name, you guys know what the underlying meaning of that word is? It's authority and relationship. Anything you pray out of my relationship with the Father, He will give it to you. That's a little bit more profound than just, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Isn't it? Jesus says, pray not out of your relationship with the Father, but live and relate to God out of mine. If we only knew, you guys, if we only knew. 11.20. 11.20. Okay, I have seven more points left. No, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. I would... I've got to tell you a really embarrassing story real quick. How many of you guys are bummed that you get to hear this? I, I think what happens sometimes... I'm going to save this particular verse I have in mind. We'll save it for another day, but what's at the backdrop of all of this is the profound passion of Jesus for us to know His Father, to experience what He experiences. That's what the Incarnation is all about, is Jesus saying, "I refuse to keep this to myself. This love and light and joy and dance and music and goodness and peace and everything good that's represented here. I refuse to keep that to myself. They must know it as I know it. And I must find them in their lostness, in their brokenness. I must go and bring this to them so that I can bring them back to this. That is a profound love that motivates that, isn't it? That is an absolutely profound love that we do not comprehend that motivates that. You know, well, I want somebody to look it up real quick. Actually, we don't have it in here, but how much do you think the Father loves Jesus? Think for a minute about what words you would use to describe the love the Father has for Jesus. Could it be contained in this room? How many of you are like, that's a joke to even put words to that? Give it a shot. What words would you use to describe the Father's affection for Jesus, immeasurable, intense. Let's get some other I words. Let's do some alliteration. No. Look at you guys playing right along. Infinite, invisible, invincible, indivisible. indivisible. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Third time's the charm. <laughs> My sinuses are a little clogged. Impossible to explain. How many of you guys, your hearts are warmed to just the thought of how much the Father loves Jesus? <laughs> Somebody open up to John chapter 17 for us real quick. Anybody bring Bibles anymore? Or download a Bible app real quick on your iBible? John chapter 17, verses 1 to 29, no, um, verse 23, Betsy, will you, when you get there, will you read? So with this in mind, you need to hear this verse, John 17, verse 23. Josh, you going to read it, or Betsy? Okay, nice and loud. Yes, please, it's kind of important. I'm going to sit. <laughs> oh, thank you, you're too good to me. Okay, pause. This is Jesus' prayer to his Father, his longest recorded prayer, it's, Jesus letting his disciples in on his conversation and desire that he's expressing to his Father. He says, listen to this. He's kind of like opening a window into his heart for the disciples and praying. So that's how he starts. Keep going. No, stop there, please. John 17, 23. Did you catch what Betsy just read? Jesus is praying for the disciples that they would know what? That they would know that the Father loves each one of them to the same extent that he loves Jesus himself. Amen, we're done with church. We don't ever need to come back. Just get that and you're good and the world will be changed. Think about that for a moment. Jesus himself says, Father, may they know not only that I am in them and that you're in them and that we're in them and they're in us, which is a lot of ins and (laughs) there's a lot of intimacy there. But he says that they will know that you love them just as much as you love me. That's your homework, is to ask Jesus to help you understand that in your heart. Is that worthwhile homework for anybody? You guys get to leave church and be like, "Our pastor freaking gave us homework. Seriously? Ask Jesus what that means. Really, ask Jesus what that means. Because what happens, and this was the story I was going to tell. So, Sometimes we hear about the absolute, infinite, crazy, mind-boggling, what are the other eyes? Infinite, impossible, indivisible, <laughs> I, 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 love of God for us, and we're like, well, that's great, but if God loves everybody that way, then what's the point? Anybody? Right? That, uh, to be honest, like, I've, I've talked about this with students all around the world, and, and I'm like, Jesus, help them get this, and they're just like, great. What's unique about that? Well, usually two things happen. Well, if that's true for everybody, then, then that's great. Or, yeah, that's true for all them, but not for me. And that's a whole other story, and we'll, we'll go there at some point. The third piece of it is sometimes, well, I'm not even sure if I want that God as a father. That's a big one that we're going to go into next year. I don't even know if I want that God as a father. We'll, we'll go there, because that's very legitimate. But this is what happens. Oftentimes people get stuck because they're like, if God feels that way about everybody, then what's so special about that? So here's where I have to end with this really embarrassing story. I've told you before that I almost left Zach at a soccer game. Zach's not, okay. Well, Nathan, cover your ears, bud. Your time is coming. So, poor Zach. He, he's always the one that gets lost somewhere. But, but this time was like really, really bad. So Sarah and I were meeting some friends at, at this park at Avila Beach. And I haven't told you this story, right? Okay, well, here we go. So we're, we're meeting some friends at a park in Avila Beach, and this couple that we met, we had been looking forward to meeting them for a long time. And so we were both, I was engrossed in conversation with the husband and Sarah with the wife, and, and all of a sudden we both had this realization that we had no idea where Zachary was. And we're like, well... This is a familiar feeling. (laughs) So we're like, Josh, where's your brother? And he's like, I don't know. I haven't seen him. So we start looking at all the usual places, right? So we start looking. You know, there's the slide. We look under the slide. We look in the bushes in the back. And there's a street not too far from there. You guys probably know which park I'm talking about. But there's that road that runs out to one of the piers. And we're like, I hope he didn't run to the street. Zach was three, maybe, right? We just moved back. So we're looking everywhere. He's nowhere to be found. We looked for probably five, seven, eight minutes, it felt like a million. And finally we just got to this point where we're like, I have no idea where he could be. And so so I went over to Sarah and I was like, baby, I just don't know where he went. And and I grabbed Joshua and I was like, bud, come over here. And I was like, look, baby, at least we still have Joshua. <laughs> I'm so confused at why you guys are laughing. I feel I feel really uncomfortable right now. Should I not have said that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes Joseph and Mary make me feel better about my parenting. Oh, we kinda lost Jesus. It's okay, baby, because we still have Joshua. Seriously? Of course not, right? But we already have a son. We still have one son. What's the big deal if one goes missing? I'm glad you guys are laughing. <laughs> it makes me feel better. Sometimes students just look at me with daggers because they don't know me well enough to like know if I'm kidding or not. And so they're just like, what did he you could just like, oh cut the tension with a knife, but of course I wouldn't say that. Of course I wouldn't say that. So why on earth do we think that God would ever even think that way? Why on earth would we even consider that God could not care infinitely more about each one of us in our unique individuality and relationship? Oh, well, we do sometimes, don't we? It's like, uh, God would be fine without me. God's got all these other kids. Have you ever had that thought creep in your mind? Like, just, just kind of being really honest? Have, has it ever kind of crossed your mind? Like, well, God would be fine without me. God's probably pretty happy. The thing about the incarnation is that Jesus is so utterly committed to you You, yes, us, plural, but you as an individual, knowing what he knows. That he says, I come to give you my peace, my joy, my relationship with the Father, and not one single ounce of your individuality, uniqueness, or identity is going to be lost in it. That's the brilliance of God, as you as you get to share in Jesus' unique relationship with the Father. Holy Spirit, help. Holy Spirit, help us to get past the lies that say, that you would say, well, at least I still have him or her. Help us to really know deep in our hearts what the Incarnation means. Help us to really know this profound love that would stop at nothing to find us in the furthest, most anxiety-laden, chaos-filled place, and you say, you know what? I will come and even find you there so that you can know what I know. Jesus, would you penetrate the darkness and the, the lostness of our hearts, even to the way, in the ways we still experience it now, even after walking with you for years? Help us to experience more today what you have in store for us than we did yesterday, and more tomorrow than we do today. Holy Spirit, how do you want to make this more real to us? What's God saying to you all? Anybody have something that you would like to share with, with all of us? Yeah. Please. Yeah. You're so close you may as well come up here.